At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, July 27th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and as it being Thursday, we have Luke Guerrero back with us. Thanks for being here, Luke. Thursday is my favorite day of the week. I, I that's good to hear. That's good. To, ditto, ditto, definitely. Um, well, we're excited, as you can tell, for this hour uh, with you to answer your questions and just generally make you a better investor. And, and that's something that is uh, not built in a day, right? Say that Rome isn't built in, built in a day. Your investment skills and your discipline are, are also not built in a day either. It's something that takes consistent habits and positive habits and eliminating counterproductive habits. And we've talked many times about what those are. Uh, but mainly it's about focusing on the, the right process. And the process is uh, understanding businesses, investing in good companies, and not buying too much into hype. And uh, oftentimes, the average investor, they take a surface-level view of things. They don't really understand uh, the broad pros and cons of different asset classes and weighing them with their risk level and their goals. And that's what we're trying to help you do. And we do this by bringing topics for us to discuss, uh, Luke, I think Luke picked a lot of our topics today, so he found some good ones for us to discuss. And we also are taking your questions, obviously. And our goal here is to give you the unbiased answers to those questions and a lot of data. Luke is a, a data whiz. He's our uh, he's our programmer behind the scenes, so he has a, a lot at his fingertips, just like I do. And we're here to help you take that next step in your journey of financial freedom. Everyone's financial freedom picture looks a little bit different, but the principles are nearly always the same. So this podcast is your opportunity to ask your questions about anything money related. So we're ready to tackle your questions. If you have, if you have them, give us a call on the InvestTalk phone line. It never closes. It's 888-99-CHART. Now our focus point today looks in the story behind this headline, Home Prices Continue to Climb with striking regional differences. And that's what's interesting here with this late, the, these latest numbers is that the housing market has almost never been so different in different parts of the country. And we're gonna look into the numbers and talk a little bit about why. Time permitting, we're also going to touch on the GDP number that came out today and what that means going forward and dig into the details because there's always that, those headline numbers but you really have to understand what makes those headline numbers and whether that's sustainable, what parts of the economy that looks positive for uh, and negative for. Also, we're going to touch on where investors are positioned in the market. And we're going to look at 
the cyclical stocks versus non-cyclical stocks. And I think that will be uh, important to uh, understand, I think, sentiment right now in those parts of the markets. And then lastly, we're going to look at the inflation battle. And the big question is, has the what past year, roughly, of deceleration in inflation, has that become a lot harder now that we've passed the midpoint of the year? So we're going to look at that as well. We're also going to dig into your voice bank questions. One is on the business cycle. The other is Cleveland Cliffs. And we have this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, most importantly, your live calls at 888 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today, Luke. And it was a decidedly negative day. We, we started off positive, but pretty much across the board reversed. And the big news was uh, what came out of Japan. I know a lot of people don't focus on Japan, but... It's still one of the largest economies in the world, and they have probably the highest debt-to-GDP ratio of the developed world, that's for sure. And so what they do with their the JGB market, the, their version of the treasury market, uh, is, is important, especially because they're big buyers of, of treasuries as well. And so what the, the news that came out is that they're starting to contemplate getting off the zero bound, the last central bank to get off the zero bound, and bring it up to about 0.5%. And uh, when it comes to their yields curve control, and that sh- that causes sell-off in markets overall, especially those growth stocks. Yeah, no, that's 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 a great point. You know, the S and P five hundred seemed to be poised to reclaim the forty six hundred mark. The Dow was coming off of its thirteenth straight winning session before it finally had a losing session today. And like you mentioned, a big part of that is what's going on with the Bank of Japan. There's also some other contributing factors. One we'll talk about later about sentiment versus positioning within mm-hmm. the market that you mm-hmm. mentioned before. Mm-hmm. But certainly, you know, the the rally we've had the past couple of weeks seemed like it was ripe for for a pullback. Yeah, and even the good earnings announcements, uh, like Meta, Meta was up big after hours, and it ended up only closing up about three or four percent. Not even uh, uh, the highest level. Uh, it started off at the highest level uh, of the year, but we closed right around the levels we saw about a week ago. So, even with good earnings announcements, we're starting to see those upside moves be capped. And, and what's kind of telling me is that a lot of the a lot of the beats that we're seeing are kind of priced into the market. You know, when people, when companies are missing, it seems like they're being punished a lot more than the winners are getting rewarded. Yeah, exactly. Earnings tell you where you were. They don't tell you where you're going, right? So the things that the market tends to focus on when it's pricing assets is is the future. Mm -hmm. So if, like we talked about, liquidity dynamics could be changing as a result of what's happening in Japan, the market's going to take that more into consideration than what money one company made last quarter. Yeah. And and the fact that most equities are up pretty big this year uh, into uh, an earnings season that has obviously some positive uh, expectations uh, already built in. And that seems uh, to, uh, based on the reactions to those earnings, seems to already be priced in for the most part. Could there be more upside in markets? Uh, I think so, potentially by the end of the year. But I think we're entering a more choppy period as opposed to the first half of the year was pretty much straight up, right? Yeah. Outside of the banking crisis, for sure. Correct. So that was the market today. And we're going to pivot over to our first listener question now. Hello, on this talk, Yannick from Denmark here. I have a question about Moody's Corporation, ticker symbol MCO. I'd really, really like to own this stock. I think it has a strong uh, moat business-wise. 
I would like to hear what entry point you would um, recommend. I sure like to hear your opinion. Thank you a lot for a great show. Bye. All right, this is Moody's, and it has kind of a duopoly on credit ratings along with S&P. And that means, yeah, I think there is a pretty strong mode around their business. However, it is also a pretty expensive stock, at least on the surface. What do you see underneath the surface, Luke? Yeah, well, on a valuation multiple perspective, I see it's 50% more than a lot of its competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, they have a duopoly uh, within this business, Moody's and Standards and & Poor's, and that kind of provides a lot of pricing power, which is something that you don't see in a lot of uh, you know financial services area because of the breadth of, of the, uh, the competitors. Um, I'm seeing debt levels that <laughs> are relatively uh, 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 low, uh, which is good for a company that underwrites other people's debt and gives credit ratings. I would hope they don't have debt mm-hmm. issues. Yep. Um, overall, I think it's a good company. Obviously, you know, it's been around for a very long time. But I think that at these current valuations, it's it's not necessarily a buy for me. Yeah, and and I just don't love the cyclical aspect of its business. Obviously, if the credit credit isn't flowing as nicely as it has uh, over the past few years. Uh, you you're probably going to see less issues, um, and that would be more of a problem. And, and you're starting to see, I think, uh, more money flowing into treasuries as opposed to these private instruments that are needed to be uh, rated by by Moody's. Moody's doesn't make a lot of money by uh, rating U.S. Treasuries, right? But they make a lot of money uh, by issuing uh, by rating new issues that come out uh, in the marketplace, and so. Uh, this is not a name at these levels that I would be owning it. I think it needs to come down at least 30 40% from here for me to uh, make it look attractive to some degree. Back around its lows from last fall in the, the, the mid-200s, I think that's an area I would probably start at least start thinking about picking it up, but not here at 350 right. Now we're heading into a break. Let me tell you about a new video feature we're producing. It's called the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight. It's free right now on YouTube. And Luke and I came out with our first episode. It's called the It's on the Technology Sector and it's rapid innovation about AI, blockchain, cloud computing, as well as software as a service. And the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight you can find right now over on YouTube. And we're gonna have next week uh, our next one will be on energy. So be on the lookout for that. Now my phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at eight 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 ninety nine chart. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire InvestTalk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24-7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. 
Now, our focus point looks into the story behind this headlines. Home prices continue to climb with striking regional differences. And this new report, the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Now, the first thing I always say with this report is that it's very lagging. It's, a, it's, it's, it's something that really is backward looking. This is one of the most lagging indicators. It looks back closer to six months. Uh, but what you see is that nationally, prices rose 0.7% month over month on a seasonally adjusted basis. And the 20 city composite gained about 1% overall. Prices nationally were still down 0.5% compared to May of last year, but just and just below the 1% but 1% below their their peak in June of last year. So, we're not even we're about a year past the peak uh, in home prices, but it's been a very modest decline. The 20 city composite dropped 1.7 uh, compared to uh, April. Uh, year over year, and the f- the we've started to see a modest acceleration really since January. But the differences between the different regions are pretty stark. The Midwest actually now was the strongest region overall, with cities like Chicago, Cleveland, and New York all up around three to to four percent year over year. So it just shows you the the regional differences. The the West was the worst by far, and Seattle was down 11.3%, San Francisco down 11%. And what this is telling me, Luke, is that it's not, I don't think it's just the migration patterns. I think this is also the fact that higher interest rates have a much larger impact on those higher priced regions, right? Because more interest, a higher interest rate has a larger impact on those. Uh, those dollar amounts, right? It doesn't, it, it multiplies, it, it, it compounds over 30 years uh, in, a, in a much uh, larger dollar amount. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think there's a lot of factors that are affecting the, uh, the housing market, right? I think that a lot of it is driven by the supply. I think a lot of it is driven by, like you said, interest rates, because people who bought houses at 2 3% don't want to sell their home and get a new one at an interest rate that is, mortgage interest rate that is twice as much. Um, I think that generally speaking, when you have price levels going up and people have to pay more for groceries, they will pay less to purchase a home. They don't have the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. I think that this is exactly what you would expect when you have one of the largest uh, campaigns to raise rates in recent history is housing prices are going to be affected drastically by it. So I think what this is telling us by looking at the past is what happened, not necessarily why it happened. And I think the answer to why it happened is a whole lot of factors. Yeah, there, there's obviously a lot of factors that, that drive uh, the housing market nationally uh, and, and even, even regionally. Uh, you know, we look at Seattle and San Francisco. Obviously, those are two areas that are heavily focused in the tech sector. Uh, a lot of the income there comes from the technology sector. And the there, there's two uh, reasons why, why they're weak. One is there's this, the, the stock options that a lot of these employees were getting are not near, worth nearly as much. Now, after this last rally in the market, that might change just a bit. Um, but that's number one. And then obviously, a lot of those, most of those tech workers can now work from home. And now they're able to go buy in uh, the Midwest, where where that is the strongest, the South, where that is all that is the second strongest region, and buy homes that are three, four hundred thousand versus in San Francisco, uh, starter homes one point two million, right? So it's uh, it's a very different uh, environment, and I think those migration trends are likely to stick for a long period of time. Now we're going to a break. 
please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. And if you're listening via the live stream or on AM 1220 in Silicon Valley, you can call now at 888 chart Justin Klein and Steve Beasley are ready to take on your finance and investment questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. Love the show. I'm calling to get you guys' opinion on stock ELF. It's a small cap stock, and it's had quite the run-up this year. I was looking at the fundamentals of the stock, and they look decent. I'm looking to get into a small position in it if it falls back down below the $100 range. What would be a good entry for you guys? Looking to hold for the long term as I'm only 28 years old. We'll love you guys' opinion. Thank you. All right. He's looking at ELF Elf Beauty. And this is a manufacturer of uh, cosmetics and skincare products under the Elf brand name. About a $6 billion market cap. Uh, trading out of $111 per share. Now, this has a, has a nice steady growth trajectory. And what's interesting is that the set of the growth decelerating like a lot of names are are seeing right now you're seeing the last couple of quarters growth accelerating in the end of last year you had growth in the 26 23 percent range in revenue uh the first quarter of this year 78 percent year over year earnings up 223 percent year over year earnings this year are supposed to be up 10 percent and 22 percent next year so clearly they have some some uh, momentum of their business but the big question, is it too expensive at these prices? You know, if you have forward-looking earnings of $2.23 next year at $111 price, you're talking about roughly 50 times forward-looking earnings. That's always a pretty steep multiple to be trading at. What do you think, Luke? No, I agree. Uh, like you said, the forward-looking earnings multiple, 61.71 compared to the sector average of 33 to 39. Yeah. I think generally speaking, the way the question was framed is this company has had quite the run-up. And typically when a company has quite the run-up, that's when you take a step back and say, okay, should the market reevaluate where this price should be? Should I enter now? And this doesn't seem to me like a point in time where you would want to enter. I agree. I, I, you've, you've missed the boat here. Now... These are one of the. This is one of those names that you say, okay, they clearly have something here. That there's a reason for the growth. Uh, I'm not privy to the cosmetic industry myself, uh, but I have seen this brand. I believe I've seen my fiance buy uh, so, some of this uh, this brand. But irregardless, you have to look at the profitability, of the business, which is very solid. The fact, once again, they have uh, very very little debt, pretty much no debt in their balance sheet, and you say. If this gets to a certain price, then I would pick it up. But it needs to be much cheaper than it is now. What will happen here, this is what's going to happen with this name. Growth is going to slow down. Just natural. There will be competitors that look at Elf's, maybe Secret Sauce, try to try to uh, emulate it. Uh, there's going to be a lot of large numbers where it just becomes more difficult as you get bigger to grow at the same uh, level. So that's what's kind of impressive about this recent surge higher in growth. Uh, but... Inevitably, that's going to slow down. Those multiples are going to come in as well. Right now, price sales 10 times. I've said many studies have always shown if you buy anything over 10 times price of sales, it's very rare for you to come out ahead over the long term. You're buying at just egregious price levels. So a name definitely to keep on the watch list, understand their business, understand why their strength, 
see what kind of durability is is in that. Maybe it's a flash in the pan. Maybe they have one product that uh, is is killing it, and if some other uh, competitor makes something similar, it could kill their market share. That happens to companies. A lot of these smaller companies, they they can be flash in the pan, one product type of businesses. But if they have a more durable brand and product base that is more difficult to compete with, I think then there's some um, durability to their business and you could buy at the right price. Um, so I'd be looking to study this name, but I definitely wouldn't be buying it here, especially with the chart, the technicals are starting to roll over. Um, and so I would pass on Elf at the moment, but certainly one to watch. Thanks for the call. Now let's play two in a row and add more value for your time spent listening to Invest Talks. So let's do that now. I'm new to your show and I'm new to investing my own money. I got a little profit from uh, some of my accounts, and I wanted to know what business cycle do you think we're in right now? Is it early contraction, late contraction, early expansion, late expansion? I'd like your thoughts on that. Thank you for your call, all your time. What do you think, Luke? Where are we? Are we, I would say either late expansion or early contraction, right? I would say late expansion, but I think it's important to frame something that we always talk about, which is not all contractions and expansions are the same. Mm -hmm. Just because the economy is contracting doesn't mean the market's going to drop off 50%. Yeah, a lot of times that that contraction could be just a reversion to the mean and not some uh, disintegration of the financial system like we saw in 08. Exactly. And this, this is, this is a, the late term of an expansion that, again, comes off a, a pretty decent pullback in the last couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think knowing where you are in the business cycle is important, but also understanding that not all business cycles are made the same and there's no reason to freak out. It's something you talked about at the beginning of the show, that it's important to keep that discipline. Mm -hmm. Rome wasn't built in a day, mm -hmm. but last time I checked, it certainly was burned in one. Yeah. So keeping discipline is important, no matter what part of the business cycle you're in. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it is important to understand the part of the business cycle so you know that you're not stepping in uh, in front of a steamroller where uh, a name that's super tied to the business cycle and has a, uh, a business that is not exactly strong uh, or a brand that's very strong uh, can suddenly see the tide turn on them and their earnings move drastically to the downside. And that's why we always talk about uh, the consistency of their business and the consistency of their growth. How uh, up and down can their is their business often? Uh, and so you're smart to be looking at those things, uh, but it, it can be very different between sectors as well. You know, we're in parts where obviously the uh, anything in interest rate related, that's probably in early contraction. Whereas anything industrial related is probably still in late growth. Um, so you can't paint the entire economy with one broad brush or, or you know, every sector with one broad brush. Now, on the next Invest Talk, uh, well, I guess we're, we're going to go to a break. I'm Justin Klein along with Luke Guerrero, ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. 
brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we will look into the story behind this headline. U.S. bank regulators unveil sweeping changes for capital requirements. The changes for banks with $100 billion or more in assets are designed to revise rules tied to risky activities, including lending, trading, valuing derivatives, and operational risk. Steve will get to that story tomorrow. But for now, we have a live call. We're going to go to Mona in Fremont looking at Johnson & Johnson. Mona, are you there? Hi, Justin. Yes. Great. Are you uh, you own Johnson Johnson or are you looking to buy it? Yes. So I own about 2% in my portfolio. Okay. And I just got a message from my brokerage firm that there's going to be an exchange offer mm-hmm. um, for Ken View, I believe, is the um, other company that they're spinning off. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get your opinion about you know submitting a request for this exchange. I believe I can either exchange all, some, or none of my existing Johnson & Johnson shares? Well, it's, it's always difficult to value a spinoff because there's not a lot of history to the business, or at least that you've seen uh, it trading. Uh, it's, uh, oftentimes, these spinoffs don't do very well the first year. There's actually this um, interesting anomaly with, uh, with spinoffs is they typically don't will do well the first year, and they typically do pretty well after that. And the reason is because these are, uh, you know, for example, you bought Johnson & Johnson because you want a large, diversified, dividend-paying healthcare stock, most likely. And they're spinning off a consumer healthcare group, which, you know, probably has its merits, probably has some, some good businesses and good products within it. But that's not what you bought Johnson & Johnson for. So oftentimes, most investors just kind of sell them willy-nilly uh, without understanding whether it's cheap or expensive or whatever. Uh, so if you are to take that spinoff, you probably want to be a long-term holder of it. I would say, Luke, I would probably just hold as much Johnson Johnson as I can. I would hold as well. One thing that, we, that I've seen the research on uh, when I used to work at Dimensional was that IPOs don't do well in the first year. Like you said, spinoffs tend to not do as poorly as IPOs in terms of price performance, and that's because they don't have the lockup issues. They're in, and they're typically not as overpriced. And they're an established business. Yeah. Right? There, is, there is a performance history there, but I think the core of it is something that we say all the time, which is knowing what you own and knowing why you own it. And you invested in, like you said, Johnson & Johnson for the diversity of a large business that has been around for a very long time. So unless you're now trying to shift that into a less certain specific niche area, uh, which I don't, I don't think you are, then I would just hold on to my Johnson & Johnson and maybe invest in that company later once you've learned more about it. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the way I would go about it. Does that make sense, Mona? Yes. Yes, it is. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for the call. 
Now let's pivot over and talk about the GDP number that came out today. And it surprised the analyst expectations of about 2%. It came in at an inflation adjusted, and that means a real GDP growth was 2.4% in the second quarter. Now I always try to temper people's reaction to the GDP number because it's backwards looking. We're a month th past the second quarter. And as we talk about Luke all the time is markets look forward and you as an investor need to look forward. So it's nice to, to see, uh, but I look at it more for why, what are the underlying trends in the economy overall and what, what that says about per, uh, certain parts uh, of the economy. So final sales to, for, to private domestic purchasers, and this excludes things like inventory swings, international trade, government spending, that grew at a 2.3% clip. So oftentimes there are some anomalies that are more one-off, but it showed that in the second quarter, there was some solid consistency to economic growth. And a big driver of that was actually spending on equipment, 10.8% year-over-year gain. And that was a reversal from two straight quarters of shrinkage in spending on equipment. Uh, were there any other takeaways that you had, Luke, from this number? Yeah, one takeaway that I had was that something that kind of weighed it down a little bit was with respect to uh, home builders starting construction, something that in Q3 is probably going to be a more positive number than it was in Q2. But I think it's important to note, does this mean we're out of the woods in terms of recession? Definitely not. There's a lot of factors that go into recession. So mm -hmm. one thing that I saw that came out today that was really important was the jobs number. And that's that the labor market still continues to be tight, right? If you're judging what a recession is, there's never been a declared recession where jobs, the job market isn't struggling. So yeah. the, the, the resilience of the job market, the, the figures that have been hampering this GDP number that are going to turn positive next year just because, or next quarter rather, just because of how we're measuring it, all these are positive things to look forward to for the economy. Yeah, I think the the biggest argument against hey we're accelerating the economy is accelerating because there are some arguments to that that we've already hit this period of decelerating economy and now that inflation is pretty much under control back to reasonable levels maybe slightly higher than we've been used to but still not eight or nine percent like we saw at the end of last year um, is that you know this this is a reason for optimism in the economy that consumers who still have jobs, uh, now have positive uh, I I growth in their income. Um, even think of the COLA adjustment for Social Security payments, right? That was what, 8%? And now is inflation 8% year over year today? No, it's three. So they had an 8% jump. And so the, the retirement benefits for people are, uh, are uh, adjusted on a real basis higher. And so there's a lot of arguments to uh, the economy reaccelerating. The counter to that, though, is I think underappreciated is actually the fact that a lot of these rate hikes still have not truly fed through to the broader economy. And, the and they might not be done. And they might not be done. And we have the student debt payments, right, coming back, was it end of September? Uh, I believe October is the first time you have to pay. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there, there's still some headwinds, but in general, there's still... I think far more tailwinds to the economy. It's just not in the in the areas that most people are used to. Most people aren't used to booms in industrial output because we haven't seen that probably for forty years. Right? Yeah, I, I think one thing to be cognizant of is that although broadly it was positive, there was still a slowdown in consumer spending, and consumer spending is indicative of how consumers feel about the overall economy. And it is such a large driver of GDP that unless that 
picks back up, it's it's difficult to say that we are expanding again at, a, at an increasing rate. Yeah, a lot of crosswinds. That's why I continue to say this is it's not a booming economy. It's not a recession. It's it's a it's a very choppy economy. And, and guess what? Equities do pretty much fine in that environment because companies find ways to generally grow earnings and you're starting to see uh, the earning picture, I think, pick up a bit uh, in the back half of the year. Now, let's swing back to the Investock Voice Bank for a fresh question from 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin. Thank you guys for all that you do. I wanted to ask if you knew the difference between Bookfield Asset Management, B-A-M, versus just Bookfield, B-N. I think they're the same company, but they focus on different areas, one a REIT, one more on the energy. If you can let me know what you think about the company and maybe which one you think is a little bit better. And uh, if you would get into this company at these prices. Thank you. Bye. All right, Brooke, this is Brookfield Asset Management versus Brookfield Corporation. And do you know the difference here, Luke? Offhand, I don't. I'm seeing that Brookfield is 75% owner of Brookfield Asset Management. So okay. I think Brookfield may be the overall umbrella organization of the financial empire that owns this asset management business. Um, generally speaking, asset managers tend to operate at pretty high margins. They tend to be in times of, of economic positivity, good investments. Uh, but certainly, you know, coming off of the regional banking crisis, that could be, that could be a concern for some people. Yeah, so Brookfield Asset Management provides alternative asset management services through an ownership interest in the leading global business. So it's very focused on the alternative asset space, whereas Brookfield Corporation, they have a focus on real estate, infrastructure, renewable power, private equity, uh, etc. My my takeaway here from either, I have to dig into the details here. It looks like Brookfield Corporation is more diversified, whereas uh, Brookfield Asset Management is more focused on those alternative assets. Correct. Either way, I don't like either one of these. I, I, I don't like the, the higher cost of capital, the overall trend uh, in the chart, and overall trend in earnings. Uh, Brookfield itself, earnings went, were $4.77 in 2021, down to three eighty one last year. It's supposed to be down to $2.38 this year, down 38%. And remember, focused on private equity, alternative assets, you know, they did very well in an environment of low, low interest rates. Well, we're not in that environment anymore. And so... I just don't love the secular now headwinds of higher interest rates for either one of these names. Anything to add? Luke? No, I tend to agree. I'm looking at the EPS growth of Brookfield um, over the one, three, and five year, and it's negative 83, negative 65, and negative 72. Yeah. I think just in the environment we're talking about, which is uncertainty about interest rates and inflation, uh, this might not be the way to go. And they both have a lot of debt on their balance sheet. So uh, I'm passing on both of them. All right. Now we're moving quickly through the third quarter. Uh, we only have two more trading days in the first month of this this quarter. And Steve and I have been telling you for a while that we're in a new market environment and serious investors need to adjust their thinking to fit the times. Just looking at Brookfield here. And you need to look at every asset through this kind of new lens of higher inflation, higher interest rates, uh, more bifurcated uh, economy, an economy that's not prevalent or predicated just on real estate, for example, that has a lot of uh, uh, reshoring and manufacturing. And that is uh, a trend that will impact almost every company uh, worldwide. And so if you need help 
understanding whether your portfolio fits these times, fits your goals, fits your risk tolerance level, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. You can send us a message through investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800 557 5461. Speak with us just for 10 minutes or so, and we can help you get your portfolio optimized. Now, this is Invest Talk, now with more than 54 million downloads in its history, thanks to you. Next up, another caller question, so hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download. Your participation makes it unique. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, it's James from Washington State. Noticed that Target took a nosedive. Wondering what you guys think of that as far as an entry point. Appreciate the show. Thanks, bye. All right, looking at Target, one of the largest retailers in the world, and it took a, a nice stair step down, was it late May into June, and has been just chopping sideways, even though the market has been in a nice uptrend. And I know they had a similar kind of reaction that, that Budweiser had with the, with their brand. I, I forget what the controversy was at Target. Do you remember what it was, Luke? Uh, the controversy was around uh, selling Pride merchandise. Pride merchandise. Okay. It doesn't seem like it's has been as visceral as the Bud Light reaction, maybe? I don't know. Uh, I but- believe it was a couple months ago. This is actually a name I was I was looking at today because similar similar to the caller, I did see the drawdown in the past couple months, and, mm-hmm. and it is one of the world's largest retailers. I think one important thing to note, though, and something that we talked about uh, a couple minutes ago is where's consumer spending going? Mm-hmm. So for me, if I'm looking to open up a position in this name, it, it could be appropriately valued after this drawdown. I'm, I'm not sure, but what do we think it's... Uh, prospect is over the next couple months. If you think that consumer spending is going to continue to be depressed, then maybe this type of business isn't where you would want to invest. If you think that maybe these most recent numbers are suggesting that there could be some economic expansion in the near future, then maybe after this after this recent drop-off, this is a company you'd want to invest in. And, and a company this large, they have a lot of analysts, and they so most of these analysts are pretty good, probably, at, at figuring out where their earnings are headed. And that trend in analyst uh, or earnings expectations going forward continues to go down. So I don't like that. I also don't like the technicals. It's traded sideways, now hitting the 50-day moving average, and I could easily see this taking another stair step lower. And I would wait for at least a break of the 50-day. Now it's got the, it's kind of right at the 50-day right now. Um, yeah, Luke, I, I, I like Target as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a company. It's fairly well run and historically. And I could see this being a good buying opportunity at some point, but I want to see some technical strength here. I'm just not seeing that, uh, and I, I don't like. And I also like to uh, see that confirmed by analysts increasing their expectations going forward as opposed to lowering it. So definitely a name to keep on your watch list. It's obviously on our watch list, but not pulling the trigger quite yet. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on. I guess it's a good segue into consumer stocks. And what's interesting is that investors are really avoiding consumer companies, particularly those are that are exposed to a potential economic downturn. And this 
basically means that investors have a lack of conviction that the there will be an economic recovery, right, or or a or a reacceleration to the upside. So we talked about there's there's a lot of a lot of cross currents right now, but clearly investors think there's a lot more headwinds to uh, an acceleration in the economy than a than than tailwinds, right? Yeah, and that's something that the Bank of America pointed out is that there is really a lack of conviction around a cyclical recovery. So the only prevailing theme in terms of where people are allocating money tends to be this secular growth theme surrounding artificial intelligence. Yeah, that's the that's the theme right now. It looks like it's a, a fading a bit, but we're gonna after the break we're gonna talk a little bit more about this and you'll be surprised about the statistics around the magnificent magnificent seven within the NASDAQ and what percentage of gains they account for amongst that index. So we'll get to that right after this break. But this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and we have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, before the break, we were discussing the lack of conviction uh, about uh, on an economic recovery, and that's shown in the positioning in markets. And B of A actually measured hedge funds relative exposure to cyclical companies versus defensive ones, and that hit the lowest level since 2011 recently. And uh, exposure among long only fund managers was close to an all time low. And what that tells me, Luke, is that if there is at least decent growth in the economy going forward. What if the recession is put off till 2025? It's pretty clear it's probably been pushed off at least until next year. But what happens to the cyclical stocks if there is a decent reacceleration to the upside? Does that mean that there's a lot of room for those cyclical cyclical names to run? I, I think there is. I think so too. I think if you're looking to find areas of the market that have not run yet, some of these cyclical names is a, is a good place to be. I read today that mutual funds, those long only funds typically, are have historically high levels of cash. Yeah. So there, there, just, there just isn't any conviction in this rally, which as I said to you earlier, those magnificent seven, I, I tried to stump you with this because it mm-hmm. took me aback as well, which is that they accounted for more than 100% of the NASDAQ's gains. Yeah, no, How does that work? That's it's because Apple, a lot of the index is negative. And, and people are positioned yeah, for a, a poor economic outcome. And when the expectation of growth in the broader economy is weak, people chase growth in other areas where there's maybe more assurance of growth, which are those big names, right? Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, Nvidia, Meta, and Alpha, Alphabet. Those are the magnific- Magnificent Seven. And of the broader markets, those seven companies account for two-thirds of total gains. So more than 100% of just the NASDAQ, but two-thirds of uh, the broader indexes. So that's pretty interesting. And what's most telling is that investors are pretty weary about the high-end brands. And that's where they're most down. And now this is this is where I actually 
kind of agree with the positioning because if you think about what is driving the economy forward, it's actually those transfer payments from the government to senior citizens, those that tend to not have a lot of money. They're not going to go out and, and buy a Louis Vuitton bag just because they have an extra couple hundred dollars in their pocket, right? They might go out to dinner a little bit more. They might go buy an extra gift for their grandkid or something like that, but they're not making these huge purchases. And then if you think about uh, the the sectors that are exposed to high interest rates, think investment banking, for example, they are suffering disproportionately in a higher interest rate environment than those lower income workers. So I do think there is something to that, that the high-end brands probably aren't going to do as well as those middle and low-end uh, brands because the people, their, their customer base uh, is, is weaker versus uh, your, your traditional person. Does that make sense? That does make sense because it's like I've said over and over again, which is there is a form of price discovery within the securities lending and shorting market. So where people tend to short, it tells you what their expectations are going forward. So it makes sense that among the top 10 most targeted stocks or for, of short sellers are two cruise lines, a swimming pool maker, American Airlines, and Ralph Lauren. Yeah. Yeah. And... Starting this year, investors had very limited exposure to stocks in general. So there's been a lot of uh, chasing so far. And what's interesting is that the S&P 500 Consumer Discretionary Sub-Index is actually up 34%. So it would look like, hey, there's a lot of money flowing into consumer discretionary stocks. But it's actually only two names. Amazon and Tesla account for more than three quarters of that increase. So you know, now that – remember when – those type of names used to just be in the tech sector. Uh, I believe, what was it, Meta and Google used to be just in the tech sector. Now they're in communication services. Communications, yeah. So this this shift in where these large mega caps are in um, has, has definitely changed the way you have to look at different sector and def- sector performances, especially when their uh, their performances of these individual stocks ebb and flow so dramatically. You know, so. Uh, so it's going to be interesting, you know, if we if we do see some reacceleration in the economy, I think the, the cyclical names have a lot of room to run just simply based on this positioning. All right, that about does it. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and this completes another Invest Talk program. Steve, Luke, and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking shows success. This Invest Talk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.